0: Some of you looked at your calendars and you said, I know what that is. I know of church history. Uh, some people actually got a closer look at some church history. We had some, uh, the Parkers, the Crispins, Philmans, and uh, some friends went to New York, actually, where uh, William Miller lived, and that's Ascension Rock, where they were expecting Jesus to return. Um, I had a professor who, uh, who mentioned, he said, October 22nd was not the Great Disappointment Day. October 23rd was. (laughs) October 22nd was the Great Appointment Day. There's a lot of truth there. Speaking of Great Disappointments, how many of you saw the presidential debate this past week? (laughs) We got the 22nd, the 23rd, but the 24th is an important date. It's the last day to register to vote here in California. Not a pastoral plea, this is just a friend here. If you haven't registered to vote, I encourage you to to vote. Register and vote. And uh, um, it's just what an honor to be part of the democratic process that way and to be involved in what's going on in our society, have some say. And I say this part to you as a pastor is register, go and vote, and maybe even see it as a spiritual exercise of asking God's wisdom, trying to search your own heart, what comes to mind, and how you could deal with difficult situations and ask God's wisdom and courage along the way. And maybe even a spiritual exercise in loving your neighbor better, even when they oppose you, have things different, view things differently than you. And it's a spiritual exercise. So as a citizen, as a pastor, let's vote and ask for God's guidance. We are in a sermon series on prayer, particularly based on the book by Tim Keller. It's been good. And Pastor John assigned a particular chapter to me. He gave me a couple, but um, the chapter he wanted me to focus on was uh, the chapter titled The Prayer of Prayers, because it is, like we mentioned in the service, the Lord's Prayer. The whole chapter was on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and it makes sense why it would be the prayer of prayers because it had such a such a role in the faith of these three master teachers that um, Keller referred to: master teachers of Augustine, John Calvin, and Martin Luther. And the whole chapter went section by section um, of, the, of the Lord's Prayer, like "Our Father in heaven," and that's one section, and the other section, and but in each section, Keller basically copied and pasted what those those three theologians had to say about it. Here's how John Calvin viewed this section. Here's how Augustine and Luther deferred on this particular section. Here was John Calvin's take on this particular section. You get what I'm saying? So this whole chapter was going through the Lord's Prayer because the Lord's Prayer was foundational, fundamental to those theologians fundamental to their theology of prayer. What they wrote about, what they preached on prayer, was based on what their understanding was of the Lord's Prayer. Theologically, it had a role in their life, but also in their devotional life. Martin Luther would paraphrase or personalize the Lord's Prayer twice a day. That's how meaningful, that's how important it was to Luther's life, the Lord's Prayer. But this prayer of prayers has left a mark in our church history as well. It's been, the Lord's Prayer has been the focus of the church's worship in the past. If It was the center of the prayer life of the community, made up the liturgy. And today, you can see all these books that were written. There's just one chapter in this book on the Lord's Prayer, but there are books written on the Lord's Prayer. Books written on a section of the Lord's Prayer has influence in the art in the music uh, area where we sing the lord's prayer different styles of listening, of of singing that that prayer but there's also been different writings different perspectives interpretations of that prayer and people write songs revolving around the lord's prayer we have sermon series on the lord's prayer and it hits home for most of us i'm sure almost all of us That we know this prayer. We were taught this when we were younger. We've recited it many times. And so I don't want to unpack the Lord's Prayer verse by verse the way Keller did in this chapter. I don't want to do that because so much has been said on this. And so many other people could say things about this prayer better than I can. We'll only scratch the surface and we'd be here forever. But instead, I want to focus on something else that was in that chapter. Before they started diving into the different uh, parts of the prayer, there was a section that began everything titled, The Danger of Familiarity. The Danger of Familiarity with this Prayer. There's a story uh, of the Chicago Bears, the 85 Chicago Bears, this uh, incredible team that won incredible defense that had a bunch of interesting characters on that team. And their coach as well. And the story goes that they would have devotionals. They would have a a team chaplain come in. And they would have worships together. And on one particular uh, meeting, after the chaplain had his devotional thought, he finished and the coach, Mike Ditka pointed to one of the players, William Perry, also known as The Fridge, because he was huge. He said, hey, could you close with prayer? And close with the Lord's Prayer. And immediately... The quarterback of the team, Jim McMahon, also an interesting character, said, oh, no, no. He does not know the Lord's Prayer. He says, yes, I do. No, no, you don't. I guarantee you, you don't know the Lord's Prayer. Yes, I do. I bet you 50 bucks that you don't know the Lord's Prayer. They're betting on prayer. Okay. So (laughs) he says, yeah, yeah, I'll prove to you that I know the Lord's Prayer. So everybody bows their head, but don't close their eyes because they're like, this is going to be good. And the fridge begins to pray, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And he finishes the child's bedtime prayer. But the quarterback gets up and he says, man, I was sure you didn't know the Lord's prayer. And gives him his catch. (laughs) They recited a familiar prayer. And missed the point. We think we know the Lord's Prayer sometimes, but man, just because we could recite it doesn't mean we understand it. Keller was saying it's a danger. We become too familiar with this. He He used the analogy of when you visit a friend who happens to live next to the train tracks. And you're sitting there talking just calmly, and then the train passes by, and you jump up, and you're startled, but your friends are like, what's the big deal? Didn't you hear the train? Yeah, we live here. It happens all the time. I guess we tune it out. I guess we got used to this. And we miss out on the Lord's Prayer, and we fail to appreciate just how much of a game changer it was for prayer life, for faith, for how we live and function in society, in our community. We miss out on what Jesus is teaching us about God, how we could interact with God, our role in our communities, what it means to be a participant in the kingdom of God. So I would like for us to recite the Lord's Prayer together before we move on. The Lord's Prayer, okay? Let's, let's say it together. books but it's interesting like we have different ways of saying the lord's prayer some of us said thy kingdom come others said your kingdom come some said lead uh, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil or evil one some of us continued past that even though some of us don't recite it because it's not in certain versions of the bible and that's okay but we have been—we're familiar with this verse. We've memorized it. We've recited it together. But do we understand it? Do we appreciate its impact? Do we appreciate what it could say about our faith and our relationships? Or have we become dangerously familiar with it, and missed out on this prayer of prayers that we find in chapter, Matthew chapter six? We find it in Matthew chapter six, in particular, in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. And I don't just mean like the heart, like it's a special feeling. No, it's, it's at the heart of it. It's the center of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking to, this, to the disciples, to these communities, people who are interested in what following Jesus is about. He's telling them about the kingdom of God, how people are valued in the kingdom of God. If you are persecuted, if you are mourning, you are blessed. You are salt. You are light. How people are valued. How people are to live. You are to love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. What good is it if you're just nice to the people who are just like you? Pagans do that. No offense, pagans. Tax collectors do that. No offense, tax collectors. But be more like your father in heaven. Love your enemies. Welcome those who aren't like you. This kingdom of God, it gives us a better picture of who God is. And so the Lord's Prayer isn't just a prayer. It's not just a prayer of prayers because, oh, it gives you goosebumps when you hear it. Oh, when Jesus said it, it was one of those you have to be there kind of prayers. No, the Lord's Prayer brings everything together. It captures what the kingdom of God is about, what kingdom living is about. It's the Cliff Notes of the Sermon on the Mount. And just before we get to the Lord's Prayer, we read in verse 1, Jesus telling them, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So don't be like these hypocrites who try to do nice things for people so they could get praise from people. Don't do those nice things, you know, instead do it in secret because God sees that. Instead of trying to do nice things for others so that people could notice you, understand that God notices your deeds and what you're doing. There's a reward in that. It's good enough. And he continues in verse 5, and when you pray, we're getting closer. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received the reward in full. They wanted attention uh, about their prayer and they got it. So yeah, the reward is in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door to pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Go into your room is not Jesus telling you, hey, where where you pray is important, is vital. It's not location. It is your motivation. Go into your room because you got to understand this, people who are listening. You have God's attention. You don't need the attention of others. You don't need the appreciation of others. You have God's attention in that room. But Jesus continues. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for the Father knows what you need before you ask him. Earlier, Jesus just said, like, don't be like the hypocrites in the synagogues. Jews, you know, that's how Jews, uh, it's familiar to, to the Jewish community. They pray in synagogues, the houses of prayer, but so do Gentiles. They pray. They pray to their gods, and that word, don't babble on, babbling, is a very unique word. it, It applies to pagans' prayers, the way they would talk, because that kind of babbling, the purpose of it was to try to get the attention of their gods. It was impersonal talk. It was ritualistic. You would just recite it. Don't do that. You would be calling on your gods in times of need by trying to impress them with your words. If you say the right things, if you say the right words, that formula, then you will be able able to manipulate God to do something for you. And Jesus is telling them, you don't have to do that. Your father in heaven knows what you need before you even ask him. That is beautiful. That is God not saying, I I know everything, I'm so amazing, or don't even bother coming to me with your information. No, he's saying you have God's attention. Later on in the chapter, he talks about, look at the birds of the air, look at the lilies of the field. They are cared for. How much more will you be? You do not have to convince me of your needs. You don't have to make me aware of your needs. You don't have to impress me with your words or your works because God loves you no matter what. God is aware of what's going on in your life because God loves you. So you don't have to convince God to care for you. You don't have to convince God to love you. So don't pray like the hypocrites in the synagogues. Don't pray like the pagans who feel like they have to convince God of something. And then we get to the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And I'll stop there. Because when Jesus began to give the Lord's Prayer, he used a familiar pattern for prayer. The Jewish community, they used this kind of format. Our Father in heaven, or our King. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. That was a familiar pattern pattern, but Jesus gave it a different touch when he said, our father in heaven. Because he didn't use the word for father that's typically used. He used Abba, Father. This is not father, formal, our king, your highness, Mr. President. No, it's Abba, Father. It's a child's reference to to their parent. Abba, Father, there's an affectionate term, even when you're older. I refer to my dad the same way I referred to him when I was four years old. There's that kind of affection there. Immediately, Jesus is telling them, I know there's a, this is a familiar prayer to you. You guys pray a lot. But when you pray, you're praying to Abba, Father. That's a game changer. I, I saw my family last weekend, and my sister was telling me that she went to her high school reunion and how much she enjoyed it. And I said, really? I said, uh, what do high school do high school reunions or any kind of reunions mean anything in the age of social media? Like where's the element of surprise? Like we know where you live. If you dye your hair, how many kids you have, we know what you ate right now. <laughs> Is there anything amazing in reunions in the life of social media? And she said, "Yeah, absolutely." She's like, "Yeah, like we all knew the basic details, but when we got together, it was like we were in high school again. If you had medical school or dental school reunions, I'm sure there was that kind of connection, that excitement. Your kids again, you're laughing again. You can let your guard down because they know you. They have all these funny stories about you, so you don't have to impress anybody. You could just be you. So when Jesus is telling you, your father in heaven knows what you need before you even tell him. He's not, telling, he's not saying, he, he's telling you. Prayer is not about information. Prayer is not meant to be informational. It is meant to be relational. It's meant to be personal. It's not meant to be recited and memorized, recited, all that stuff. No, there's a danger in familiarity because then you will miss the connection you could have with Jesus in prayer. We have God's attention, and we could enjoy his company. It's comforting, it's reassuring when we hear that part of the Lord's Prayer. But the other thing is this it is very challenging as well. It is very challenging as well. Hallowed be your name. My friends, that may be a praise, but it's more than a praise, it is a petition, it is a request hallowed be your name, your, your na- you will be honored as holy. It's a petition, and in there, there's a desire for everyone to acknowledge God's holiness, for everyone to acknowledge God's goodness, God's name. God's name is important in the biblical world. It's important because your name was more than just your label. It was your presence. It was your reality. Your name was more than a label, it was your character. What you were really like. The Dodgers had an amazing manager, Tommy Lasorda. He won a lot. He's also a really good motivational speaker. And about a year ago, he was in the clubhouse of the Dodgers, even though he's not the manager anymore. And he was talking with the team, with all these athletes, And he says, "You gotta play for the name on the front of your shirt, and not for the name on the back of your shirt." He said, "All of you who get paid a lot of money in this clubhouse, you just want to do well so you could get paid more, and you always want to get the attention. You want to be worried about your your stats, but you know what? You gotta play for the name that's on the front of your jersey. You gotta play for your teammates, not just yourself. You gotta remember the fans of this team, not just yourself." You got to keep in mind the organization, the history of this team. You got to be concerned with the name of God more than your own name. Of course, we're not praying that God be holy. God is already holy. Of course, we understand that. But as Luther mentioned, we are praying that God keep us from dishonoring the name by which we are called. That he would empower us to become ourselves good and holy. This is a request that we not dishonor God's name because we take that seriously as a phrase. When I mean, we do it, in baptisms, we baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. We have a stamp. We label ourselves as Christians, as followers of Jesus. And that cannot be taken lightly. That's why it's in the commandments where God says, do not. Take my name in vain. You are my chosen people. Other nations are looking at you, how you behave and how you treat each other. Whatever you do reflects off of me. So you've got to be more concerned with what's on the front of your shirt rather than what's on the back of your shirt. When you look around at the things that have been done in the name of God, the things that have been done in the name of religion, and maybe even religious liberty, they could break your heart. They could make you cringe. And the way that we take a stand on our beliefs, on our convictions, when you look at society, is it bringing people closer to God or is it bringing them farther away from God? Is the way that we behave and express ourselves in society and About different groups of people, are we portraying a God that is welcoming and loving, or one that is rejecting and hateful? Are we expressing anger rather than compassion? Maybe we need to pray that God's name be holy in our lives. Look at our own church. The Adventist Church has done things in the name of religion that may break your heart as well. It may even make you cringe. What we're willing to do to groups of people in the name of policy. What we're willing to do to institutions, to servants. And does that give millennials more or less of a reason to stay in church? Does our focus on ideology rather than mission give us more of a reason to be cynical about church? Or does it bring us more hope? We are at fault, my friends. If there's an exodus in the church, it's not because of, oh, Hollywood or society. Sometimes it's because of what the people of God are doing to each other. And we have to own that. Hallowed be your name is not just a praise. It is a petition. But it continues with more request: Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And again, you see... I need to be more concerned with your will than my will. Augustine said that, yes, God is reigning now, but just as the light is absent to those refusing to open their eyes, so is it it is possible to refuse God's rule. Your kingdom come, your will be done, and I understand some of us have prayers, and we really need God's guidance, and we need discernment. Should I take this job? Should I move here? Should I attend here? I get those questions. What is God's will in that? But we cannot forget the fact that God has told us what his will is in the big picture plenty of times. You see it in Micah. To do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God, that is God's will. The Ten Commandments, that is God's will for your life. The Sermon on the Mount, loving your enemies is God's will. Welcoming people, even if they're not like you, is God's will. Taking care of the marginalized is God's will. Prayer is not meant to inform God about our lives. Prayer is meant to transform our lives. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, God, because I know what I want to do. I know what's easier for me to do. I know who I'd rather ignore, but help me want your will and be more concerned with your name than my preferences. There's a danger in familiarity when we just recite the Lord's Prayer. Because the first half of this prayer, these petitions are God-centered, are God-acknowledging. If we've already understood, Jesus telling us, you have God's attention. But when we pray for God's will in our life, we are giving God our attention. And that's important to remember. Not just that God pays attention to us, but that we need to pay attention to God. There are more petitions here that acknowledge our insufficiency acknowledge the ways in which we fall short. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us. Lead us not into temptation. Those requests, those petitions, acknowledge the ways we fall short, how we are insufficient. And yes, our Father in heaven knows what our needs are before we we even tell him. So Jesus is not opposed to our requests about tomorrow. He's not opposed to our requests uh, regarding our needs. But he is concerned about our anxiety about tomorrow. He is concerned about our needs. You don't need to pray with anxiety, friends. That's what God's, I hear Jesus saying. That's how pagans pray. That You have to convince God to love you better. Friends, pray convinced that God loves you best. Give us this day our daily bread as a proclamation of trust. We're not trying to convince God of anything. We're proclaiming trust because we're convinced that God loves us best. Augustine paraphrased Proverbs in there. He said, give me neither poverty, lest I resent you, or riches, lest I forget you. God pays attention to us, but we cannot stop paying attention to him either. The Lord's Prayer is filled with comfort. Yes, and challenging, absolutely. But there's something that isn't said much in here that I think we could find encouragement in as well. That prayer is assumed. It wasn't like some of you pray. No, he's saying Jews pray, pagans pray, everyone prays. Prayer is assumed. And I think some of us may feel a little discouraged with prayer, period. Frustrated with prayer. Confused about prayer. Where do I start? Some of us don't have a hard time with that. Some of us, like Luther, could paraphrase the, you know, prayers in the morning and the evening. We read books on prayers. We pray before every meal. We have no problem praying in front of other people, and that's great. And some of us wonder, like, man, I guess I got to do that. But right now, I'm not even sure what I believe about God. I'm not sure if I should even bother praying because last time I did, it didn't turn out the way I was hoping. And there's encouragement in our disappointment with prayer. Because prayer is assumed here. Karl Barth, uh, he had the statement that the first and basic act of theological work is prayer. The first and basic act of theological work is prayer. Not simply saying, okay, before you start reading the Bible, pray. All right, before you start learning about God, like in a discussion, in a seminar, in a sermon, pray. No, the the first task of theological work of your understanding of God is prayer. As you're wrestling to understand who God is, you are praying. As you are frustrated and even doubtful of how prayer works, you are praying praying. You're doing theological work. You're trying to understand how God works in your life, who God is. You may be discouraged because you don't pray as often as others, because your prayers may not be answered the way other people's prayers have been answered, but you, my friend, are praying. You're trying to get a better understanding of who God is, the same way the Lord's prayer did for the disciples and the people who came to listen to him on that mount. Prayer is assumed. To be human is to pray. To ask questions is to pray. That's how we were created. We are, after all, trying to get to know our God. So we could find encouragement in our disappointment with prayer. And we could also find encouragement knowing that God's kingdom came. That God told us how we could experience life better here and now. Even when we'd much rather do our own will, God's kingdom still came. And it will be seen purely and perfectly eventually. But we could find encouragement in that today, too. I had one of my professors that I, I really appreciated. I would always bug him with questions and joke around with him. And this one time, I, uh, I basically approached him and said, I have a friend who has a hard time praying has a hard time with prayer feels that every time they pray the prayers don't even go past the ceiling like what's the point point? and my professor just went pray anyway pray anyway you will get to know God better it won't just be about you informing God. It'll be about you being transformed by God. You pray anyway, not trying because you're trying to convince God to love you better. You're doing it because you're convinced God loves you best. So you could be transformed in that relationship with God. So I encourage you today, whether you're doubting or whether you're excited, pray anyway. And whether you've memorized it and recited it all the time, pray anyway. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you pay attention to us. Thank you so much that there is a reward in knowing that. Thank you that you don't just bring us comfort, but that you also challenge us to become better. That you challenge us to think about others, not just ourselves. Thank you that It makes for stronger communities, that it makes for more loving communities. Thank you that in our questions, in our doubts, in our frustrations, we also find you. Teach us to pray better. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. May the God we pray to us to pay attention to the ways in which we can love better in this world. May we pray with confidence that we are loved by God. Amen.